Good morning, Grace Five. Happy Sunday and happy uh, beginning of Advent season. I can't wait to sing some more of those Christmas hymns. So uh, a friend sent me a, a short little quote the other day, and as I was thinking about it, it, um, it also just struck me as something um, as we're in this season of Advent, which is really the season of waiting um, for the birth of Christ, for God's rescue for mankind. And um, it didn't strike me at first, but it's just a short little quote. And then after I was thinking about it, um, I thought, this is, this is really good for me, too, in this, this month as we're meditating on um, just the great gift of Christmas, ultimately the birth of our Savior. It says, if you are human, if you are a human who has been doing the adult thing for more than 24 hours, you've probably come to the same stunning revelation I have. We cannot control our outcomes, but what if the victory is only in part how things turn out? What if the bigger, vi bigger part of the being victorious is how well we live today, this hour, this minute? And it's sort of like this, um, it's not tension, you know, but it's this living in the in-between place, right? Where we, um, we know the outcome, or the ultimate outcome is, you know, God sent his son and he came and he did what only the Son of God could do, which was live that perfect life and pay the price for our, um, our sin and our rebellion and deliver us and rescue us. And so we're living in that reality, but we're also living under the curse as well. And it's, and it's hard and we feel, you know, wanting to sometimes just uh, escape. And, um, but the Lord has a reason for, you know, each day that he's given us. And that it's important that we're present. Um, and I just love that it was, you know, just talking about part of the victory is not just, you know, tomorrow or a year from now or the ultimate outcome. Part of it also is that reality, right, right, right here, right now, whatever, uh, whatever your day looks like, um, just being able to live in the reality of God's goodness to you, his ultimate deliverance for you, and living in uh, victory, moment by moment, right? I need that. I need that. Um, and so I just wanted to share that quick word, but um, I don't think I said hi to our friends at home yet. Hello, <laughs> everyone joining us uh, at home. We're so glad that you're with us as well. And uh, anyone who's coming in for the first time, thank you so much for being our guest. Um, we are, uh, we're just so, so thankful for this family that God has given us, and he's growing it, and he's building it, and it's his kingdom, and um, every single soul that he brings into this family, we rejoice, and we want to serve, so I just want to let you know that we are so glad that you're here, whether you're at home with us in spirit, or whether you're in this auditorium right now. So we have our QR code up there, and if you want, you can get your phone out and take a picture of that, or just hold your camera up. And that will take you to today's scripture reading. It will take you to some buttons that you can use to send us a prayer request. It's for giving. We don't uh, pass a plate here at Grace Life. We have a donation box out in the lobby. And uh, you can use that to give your, your tithe or your offering. And, um, or you can drop us a note even in that box as well. We have some cards and um, just a way for you to connect with us. Let us know how we can pray for you. Share anything you want. Ask us any questions. It would be our joy to receive that. 
Um, and we have a tradition every Sunday. We have a Grace Life welcome. I'm pulling it up here. It's easier for me to read from my phone. All right. And um, this is our very treasured welcome. And it's for everyone in this room. It's for everyone at home. It's for everyone that's watching maybe at a future time. And this is what it says. To all who mourn and need comfort. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Amen. And then for our scripture today, we are in Romans. And let's see, we can pull that up. You can, uh, you can use the QR code and you can find it there or open up your Bible or your uh, Bible app. And we're in Romans 5, and that's verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Thank you. morning, Grace Life. It is still very good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us, whether you are sitting in front of me now or as my wife greeted you. If you're watching from home, we're grateful that God and his providence and sovereignty has made a way for you to worship with us today and a way for you to be able to dig into the word with us together. Um, as you know, Advent season is upon us and uh, that word Advent is really packed with meaning. You see it around here, Advent Health, Advent Hospitals. You see it on the front of Christmas greeting cards, and maybe you don't really know what it means. The word Advent actually means the arrival of somebody noteworthy. And so packed into the word Advent is a couple of other words, anticipation and arrival. Or you could just say waiting and conclusion. And I think that it's where a lot of us are at right now. We could add that to our greeting, to all who are waiting and are frustrated. We're all waiting on something, aren't we? And the people living in the culture and the world to whom Christ was born were waiting too. Some of them didn't know what they were waiting on. Some of them were waiting on something and they were looking for its arrival in the wrong place. And they missed Christmas. So this is Advent. Someone is waited for. Someone is coming. Someone has arrived. And that someone is Jesus. Now, we are still in Romans today. I know it's December. I know we're kind of starting an Advent tradition here every year that we talk about Christmas and what it means. But I did not feel the need to deviate from, uh, from Romans because we're in Romans 5. And this is really a Christmas passage. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know you could find a Christmas passage in Romans 5. But it is. It's an Advent text. And today I'm just going to introduce it. And then we're going to come back and finish up at another time a little bit later. And this is also Communion Sunday, it's first Sunday. So I want to remind all you parents that have children in the back who have professed faith in Christ that there's going to be an opportunity at the very end of the, me of the message today, at the very end of the service, we're going to celebrate 
the Lord's Supper. We're going to come to his table together, and I want to encourage you to invite your children who are believing to celebrate that with you and with their church family. It's not a command, it's an encouragement, it's a recommendation. So if I forget to repeat this again at the end, uh, just take this reminder, uh, remind yourself, go and get your kids in the back, the teachers will be ready for that, they anticipate that. So Paul kind of tips his hat in verse 14, if you look at this part that I've highlighted, that this is kind of about Christmas, it's about Christ coming, because he says at the end of this passage that Adam, the first human being, Adam was a type, he was a type or a pattern of the one who was to come. Who's that? Who's the one who was to come? That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. That's the rescuer. That's the Savior. That's God representative, representative who was sent to us to rescue us from our sin and from our misery. So why Christmas? Why do we actually need Christmas? Why are we waiting? Why is it so important that somebody noteworthy is going to come? Why do we need them so desperately? The greatest threat, I read this, in a, read this online the other day in a, on, a, on a tweet. It said the greatest threat to Christmas is not consumerism out there, and it's not secularism out there. It's our own boredom with the most magnificent, magnificent story ever told. A lot of people, we put the blame, uh, you know, Christmas is run by commercialization, by consumerism, by secularism. No, sometimes it's run just by us being bored. We get bored. Familiarity really does breed content, uh, contempt and sometimes resentment. So this is a great time of the year to remind ourselves why we so desperately need Jesus. And so uh, to help us anticipate Christmas and to understand the need for Christmas and to celebrate it, that's going to be what kind of frames our, our passage today. So three points and then we'll be on our way. How do you appreciate Christmas? How do you keep Christmas in your heart if you're a Christmas carol lover and you love that story? of Scrooge not keeping Christmas, being a bah humbug. How can you keep Christmas in your heart? Three ways. Number one, you can understand human history. You can understand human history, your history, where you came from, what happened. Number two, you can confess personal guilt that we're a part of that history. We're a part of the problem as to what's going on inside us and around us and among us. Number three, you can welcome God's Savior. That is to say, you can prepare room for God's king to come and take up residence in your heart. So that's going, to be our, that's going to be our outline today. Point number one, understand human history. It has been said, and I think rightly so, that people cannot make sense of anything. You and I cannot make sense of anything without attaching a storyline to it. Without a history of some kind, all we have is just clues to guess at. Why is this happening? Where'd that come from? How can we fix this and correct this thing that's broken? How did it break? What happened? Who's to blame? Who's the villain? Who's the hero? We all need a narrative, so to speak. We need some history. We need context. Without history, we, we really struggle to find meaning. And we're left kind of making it up on our own. And that's what people do, don't they? They make up their own story. One Saturday morning about three years ago, I was walking at Lake Beresford. That's kind of my happy place, my little prayer walk place, my sanctuary. I was walking, a train went by, and I took my earbuds out because I thought I heard something, and it was the faint cry of somebody crying for help. And I thought, that, I'm imagining that. I want to imagine that. This is my happy place. I don't want to hear anybody crying for help. And so I started to put my earbuds back in. I'm like, dang it, man. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I can't ignore that. I got to go investigate. So I did. I went over, and I investigated, and what I saw 
troubled me and confused me tremendously. I saw a middle-aged man who was slumped over, laying half on the sidewalk, half in the dirt. He had blood all over his head. He was cradling his soldier that was misshapen and obviously out of place. And he was reaching for a cell phone that was just out of reach of his hand. And he was whispering, help me, help me. And there was a bike laying over uh, behind him. And he seemed confused and he seemed hurt and he seemed afraid. And as I started to move toward him, I saw another man standing over that moved in between me and him and held his hands out protectingly and said, stay away, don't touch him. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? What just happened? Is this, uh, is this a crime scene or is this the scene of an accident? Or is this a practical joke? What happened to this guy? I, I mean, I could understand help me. I know what that means. But help me from what? Help you because you're injured, obviously? Uh, did you just have an accident? Did that train hit him that I heard? Is that man menacingly threatening him? Is that guy, is that guy still dangerous? What's going on? I needed the story, didn't I? I had to create, it's like the, the, the game Clue. Who done it? What happened here? I didn't know what to do. I really was confused and I was afraid. I'm thinking, what in the world have I walked into here? I was just minding my own business. This kind of thing always happens to me, by the way. I don't know why. Maybe it's so I can tell you about it and use it as an illustration. Well, as it turned out, that man had wrecked his bike coming around a sharp corner. The tire hit sand, just like a skateboard does sometimes, and scooted out from underneath him, and he suffered a concussion. A concussion. He hit his head. hit it really bad. And so he was confused. He was disoriented. And he also dislocated his shoulder, obviously, in the process. So he was agonizing, thriving around, wallowing around in pain. So he was hurt. He was upset. And he was trying to reach his cell phone so that he could call his wife to come and get him. And the bystander was warning me, don't touch him because there, you could get sued if you injure him more uh, severely than he already is. Because there's this, uh, people can, can sue you now, I guess. That's why they have this, what's it called, Good Samaritan Law came into effect. So that guy was trying to protect me, um, but I guess not trying to protect that guy. So it all made sense when I got the backstory. So I picked up his phone and I said, what's your wife's phone number? And he remembered it and I called her and we got his wife out there and we took him to the ER and took his car home and I made a new friend that day and I even took a picture to commemorate it. So I don't want you guys to think I make this stuff up. That really happened three years ago and that's my buddy that lives over in Victoria Hills now. I got to go and see him not long ago. So uh, I need it. We need backstory to make sense of things, don't we? And if we don't get that backstory, we'll make something up on our own that's, that's usually unreliable, dangerous, misleading, and hurtful. And the same is true for the culture that we live in. Everybody's doing that right now. You know that, don't you? Everyone has their own backlog story of what is going on, who's to blame, and who we can, who we can get to fix this. Who's the villain? Who's the hero? Who's the antagonist? Who's the protagonist? Well, Paul is, is wanting to help us here in this passage. No, I just read, Sarah just read uh, verses 12, 13, and 14, and we're just going to pause there and camp out there for a little bit, because, because what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a backstory. Paul is a biblical theologian, and he's also a biblical historian, and those two things interwoven together give us, help us understand meaning and help us understand identity and help us understand the world that we live in. They really create a worldview for us, and I talk about that a lot here because it's so important. 
You know, we all have a worldview. A worldview is like body odor. Okay? You don't know you have it, but you do. <laughs> Everybody has body odor, and sometimes it's not very inviting. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's repugnant and offensive, and it repels people. But everybody has a worldview just like everybody has body odor. Some are good. Some are not so good. Um, we all have one. Paul is giving us the right kind of worldview here. And I just wanted, this is an aside. This is kind of, of a preliminary note. As a historian as, and as a theologian, Paul's doing something really important here that I don't want to miss the opportunity as your pastor to help you understand. Paul is laying out Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as reliable, trustworthy history. It's history. It's not poetry. It's not allegory. It's not mythology. It's not fictional. It's reliable. It's verifiable. And it's trustworthy. So we're doing violence to the way the Bible is written if we don't side with Paul. We're in good company if we take the early chapters of Genesis, uh, and really all of Genesis, as reliable, verified history, okay? In other words, Adam was a real human being who existed in a real place. The Garden of Eden was a real location. The, the creation and the fall of man were both true events that shaped the world we live in. There was really a talking snake who was Satan, the opposer, in disguise. And uh, that event shaped history, shaped history as we know it. So if, if you believe that the book of Genesis is literal history, you're not archaic and you're not dumb. You're in very good company. Paul believed that and he taught that. And so did Jesus. And so do I. So does this church. We don't take it as mythological or fictional or allegorical. It's real history. It's real events. That's where we get our worldview. Genesis, if you're paying attention to Genesis, and if you're paying attention to Paul, he gives you the backstory. You don't have to guess. You stumble upon history. There's a school shooting last week where four people were killed and seven others were injured. 30 to 40 million abortions take place every year. And you stumble into this. And you're wondering, what happened? What's going on? What caused all this? You don't have to guess. You don't need to guess. That's dangerous to play who done it and play the game of Clue. Paul tells you what happened. What happened. And he tells you what the solution is, where it's coming from, and how we can embrace that. That's really what the story is about. That's really what Christmas is about. Even if you listen to Christmas songs, they will tell you. Some of my favorites, and I'm sorry, you're just going to hear me singing them every week up here, quoting them. Uh, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, right? Oh, holy night. You know that song? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. People, secular radio stations play that. Long lay the world in sin and error. The world is just enshrouded in sin and darkness and hate and violence and death. Till he appeared. Who? Christ appeared. And the soul felt its worth. That was the problem to begin with. Our soul was destroyed and eaten away. We sing about that, don't we? Joy to the World, my favorite song. We're going to sing that, I think, maybe next week. Um, no more let sin and sorrows reign. Thank you. They reign right now, don't they? Who's king right now? Who's king? This passage says death reigned. Death and sin and sorrow reign. No more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his mercies Known. How far? Everywhere. Far as the curse is found. Hey, listen, go anywhere in the world today and you're going to find traces of the curse. You're going to see evidence that this backstory Paul is giving us is true and it really happened and it's reliable. You don't even have to go out there. Look right inside here. 
Why is it so hard to be faithful and to tell the truth? Why do we have to qualify, hey, can I be honest? Why do we have to say that? Because we're so accustomed to people lying to us and to us embellishing things. That's why I show you pictures of the stories I tell you so you know I'm not lying, right? I mean, listen, we all want this exotic place that's untouched by corruption and by sin and by stain, don't we? We want this exotic paradise. We want to get away and escape it all. We think it exists, some place out there exists that we haven't ruined yet. That's not true, man. You go anywhere in the world, find the most exotic, unreached, uncorrupted, unstained place you can find, and I guarantee you, you're going to find three things. You're going to find a hospital, you're going to find a prison, and you're going to find a cemetery. It's true. I'm not making this up. Go anywhere. People have written books about this. Novels have, have thrived on this kind of thing because it's true. There is no such thing as a place untouched or unstained or uncorrupted by human beings. Why is that? Because no matter where you go, you're going to find humans there. And if you've got two humans, you've got two problems, don't you? It's true. That's what Paul says here. I know there's a lot of uh, attacks on the early chapters of Genesis, uh, but Paul is, Paul is helping us understand that it's to be taken literally here. He says throughout this passage, through one man's trespass, through one man's act of disobedience, sin came into the world. Many died. Death reigned. Many were made sinners. All of that is, is true, reliable history. Um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, I never pronounced his name right, he said this, nothing is easier than denouncing the evildoer. And he says, nothing is more difficult than understanding him. And since we're, we're sinners, we understand sin, do we really understand ourselves? Do we really understand why do we do the things that we do? Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? Paul answers that question here in verse 12. Look at it. Check this out. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned full stop. That one verse, we could unpack that all of 2022 and never touch the bottom. That gives so much backstory and catalog and explanation to why is the world the way that, it's, that it is today. Who's to blame? Is it the environment out there? Everybody's evil and everything's holding me back. And if I could just do what I want to do and what I feel like I need to do, everything would be hunky-dory. Is that it? No, that's not what Paul says. He says everything at there was a time in the history of the world where everything was right and beautiful and true and noble. Man walked with God in the garden. There was peace. There was harmony. There was harmony between human beings and God. There was harmony between human beings, one another. There was harmony between humanity and the creation. Lions didn't attack people. Spearfish didn't pierce people, right, and jump into the boat. And People didn't get attacked. People didn't get maimed. People didn't get wounded. There were not wars. There was not hate, there was not domestic abuse, there was not abortion, there was not death. None of that stuff was introduced yet. In fact, if you read the early chapters in Genesis, chapter 1, it only lasted two chapters, right? Before paradise was lost. There's this ref re refrain over and over and over, and it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, that means, check this out, it was what? It was good, and then God created the crown jewel of his creation, which was what? Us. Humanity, that's not being self-centered to say that. The Bible says it. He made us 
and crown creation with humanity because we bear his image, which means we bear incredible responsibility. God created us and he saw what he had made and he said it's very good. Everything is very good. And it didn't take long at all before we get to Genesis chapter 6 and we read these words. God looked down and he saw the wickedness of man that it was great and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, and he was sorry that he made man. What in the world happened? You go from chapter 1, everything he saw was very good, and he blessed it and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and everything was wonderful just as it should be. The word Eden means paradise. And then just a few chapters later, God was sorry he made it. What happened? You don't have to play the clue game. It tells us in chapter 3 what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve transgressed. They rebelled. They disobeyed God. They violated his agreement, his covenant. He said, all of this is yours to enjoy. I made this for you to enjoy and to know what I'm like and to walk with me and to be fruitful. And Adam and Eve stood in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they created wisdom in their own, on their terms, not God's. And Adam took the apple and Eve took the apple and they ate and they plunged all of humanity into sin and into death and darkness and sorrow. And our world has been like this ever since and it's only gotten worse. It has not gotten better with education. It has not gotten better with the right leaders or the right king or the right education model or the right political system. None of that has helped. We're worse than we've ever been. There's more wars now than we've ever seen in the history of the world. Even in the United States, can we, can we even say the United States right now? It doesn't feel like that, does it? And Paul tells us in, in verse 12 what happened. Through one man, sin entered the world. And through sin, death, and death spread everywhere. The whole earth is touched by death because of sin. Because one man who represented all of us transgressed and he rebelled. He was unfaithful. And that explains, my friends, everything that's happening to us. It explains mass shootings, school shootings, death, genocide, war, domestic abuse. I was reading my newspaper that came the other day. Uh, in Deltona, there was a man outside, and he was just enjoying the beautiful, fresh, cold air right now at night. And he heard screams of, and cries, and he looked in his neighbor's yard, and there was a man who was choking out his wife on the sidewalk. They were thrashing around in the yard on the concrete. He was punching her, choking her out. She was hitting him with her cell phone. It was almost, I'm just being, it was almost comical reading about it until I realized this is, this is real. This is not a comic book strip. And he had to call the sheriff. He, he heard two, two kids in the background, two toddlers screaming and crying for their mom and dad. What in the heck? What is happening? Romans 5.12 is what's happening. That's what's happening. We live on a cursed planet, don't we? where there is violence and conflict out there. We see it in our own hearts, don't we? If we're honest, I've talked about that enough. We see it amongst ourselves, and we see it around the world. We see traces of the fall. Charles Spurgeon once said that the slime of Adam's rebellion, I hate slime, by the way. The slime of Adam's rebellion has covered the whole planet. There is no place you can go and not find traces of this text right here. You can try to deny it, you can suppress it, you can ignore it, but it's here staring us in the face. This is a worldview passage. This is a Christmas passage, and it's a worldview passage. And the worldview that we all have, that body odor, it's, it's three questions that we ask and we answer. What's the world supposed to be like? And we all agree, not this. Not supposed to be like this. People aren't supposed to be lonely and depressed 
I don't know if you've seen the latest statistics about mental health, depression, anxiety, and suicide, especially with the pandemic and the political division that's taking place. It is not good at all. And then more to come. The world's not supposed to be like this. That's the first question. What's it supposed to be like? It's supposed to be like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right? Second question is, what happened? Who's to blame? How did the world get knocked off balance? Who's the villain? And then the third question is, who's going to fix this? How can we put this right? How can we put the world back together? And the Bible answers all three of those things. Or the radio will answer it for you. Or Google, or Siri, or Alexa. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Listen, I just want to be really frank with you today. What have I got to lose? You're here. You're not going anywhere, right? It doesn't matter. I'm not picking on any political system. If you're listening to a red news channel or a blue news channel, or you found one of those neutral. <laughs> Don't you hear that? I get my news from the internet. It's neutral. Really? <laughs> Hey, listen, guys, neutrality is a myth. You ain't going to find anybody that's neutral. That person reporting the news has a worldview, and it leaks out. They can't help themselves. It does. We all provide commentary. I'm not picking on any of those things. I'm not picking on any of those things. It doesn't matter. It's going to be biased. It's gonna, they're going to have their own worldview. This is the only untouched, unsullied, pure source of worldview where, where you can get the truth right? You don't have to change it. You don't have to tweak it or adjustment. It's just right here. This is what happened to our planet. This is what happened to us. Our representative failed. He betrayed God. He transgressed. He was our federal representative. We didn't elect him or appoint him. God did. And so it was fair. It was just. It was right. And he failed. And the whole earth has been plunged into sin and death and darkness. And that's why Christmas is so glorious to us because it reminds us we were waiting on hope. We were waiting on a Savior. We were waiting on rescue. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we, pe we put forth our best leaders, our best systems, our best answers, our best hopes, our best solutions, and they all failed miserably. We couldn't pick up the piece. It's like Humpty Dumpty, the world is. It fell down, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. We gave it our best shot, and we're worse off than we ever were. And the Bible says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law. God sent somebody like us, a human, but unlike us. They were pure. He was pure. He was unstained. He was not sinful. He came from heaven. That's what Christmas is really all about. So, everyone has a, a view about the world that shapes their thinking and that determines how they view suffering, how they interact with people, how they solve dilemmas, how they make decisions, how they view things like money and sex and suffering and evil and education and parenting and families and marriage and all of that stuff. And pretty much everybody believes they're the hero of their own story. If we're honest, most people believe that. Now, it wasn't me. I'm just, I'm just existing here. I'm just trying to help people, man. <laughs> I heard, I read the other day Charles Manson. I don't need to tell you who that is, do I? Charles Manson, uh, I'm going to get to him a little bit later in the story. Did you know he fired three of his attorneys? He fired them. He did not feel like they were going to represent him well, and so he fired them. One of them disappeared, and they found his body later. That's another story. But Charles Manson said he wanted to represent himself, and this is what he said to the court. He said, you made me. He looked to the jury, he looked to the judge, he looked at the uh, prosecution, and he said, you made me. I'm a product of the evil system you built. I'm trying to free people from it. 
Who knew, man? Charles Manson was a liberator. He just trying to help people out, right? He said, my family, they called the Manson family out on the ranch in California. He said, my family came to me because you didn't want them, but I did. Isn't that weird? It is weird, but if we're honest, all of us have a version of that story. We're blameless, right? We didn't, we didn't do anything wrong, man. We're just trying to fit things, fix things, put things back together. Don't blame me. It's them, you see. It's the system. It's the government. It's the education system. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my environment. It's my upbringing. You know, there have been prominent thinkers who have shaped large groups of, of people and are responsible for the worldview they hold. Let me list a few here, okay? Plato said that our main problem was our physical body and material, the material world around us that's evil and that's weak. So the goal is to escape the physical body. That was Plato. And you think, how silly. Yeah, but we still hold to a platonic worldview. A lot of us do. That's why a lot of people cannot even conceive of heaven as being a restored planet. It's got to be all spiritual and uh, ethereal and clouds and wispy and floating around. There can't be any material that's physical in heaven because that'd be bad. That'd be evil, right? Oh, just you wait. Just you wait and see how Jesus restores this planet and reclaims it. He created everything and he said it was good. We're the ones that ruined it. He's going to reclaim it and restore it. So sorry, Plato, you got it wrong. Anyway, Karl Marx is another prominent thinker. He believed our issues stem from an unjust and evil economic system. So the answer would be to have a totalitarian government that would make everything fair and balanced, right? No comment. Okay. Number three, Sigmund Freud, or Sigmund Freud, depending on how you... <laughs> he identified the core issue as these internal conflicts between our desires and our conscience, right? So in other words, the answer is, if it feels right, do it. Don't suppress yourself. Don't hold yourself back. Don't let those moral gatekeepers... Like the church and, you know, don't let them hold you back. Jean-Paul Sartre, his contention was that we do not realize we are completely free. Since there are, there's no such thing as an objective value. So in other words, don't let anybody hold you back. Do whatever you want. B.F. Skinner said that we're products of our environment. It's not your fault. They created this monster, which Manson sounds like a B.F. Skinner advocate, doesn't he? And then others that said we're made... Uh, to follow aggression because of evolution. We're just animals. We're just instinctive. We just respond impulsively. We can't control it. It's not our fault. Don't hold us responsible. All of those theories is really a story. You understand that? All of them are giving you the backstory as to why the world is the way it is, why you're the way you are, and how to overcome it. What's wrong with us and what can we do about it? So if you are living in a story where self-expression and sexual pleasure and power, and wealth, and influence is the main goal, the primary meaning of life, you're, then you're going to behave, behave in a certain way. You're going to make decisions in a certain way. You're going to view suffering in a certain way. You're going to live for pleasure. You're going to live for attention. You're going to live for entertainment and gratification. You're going to need more likes and more follows and more subscribers to be happy. You're going to have to be the prettiest person in the room, the smartest person in the, the room, the healthiest person in the room to feel successful and to feel worthy. But the gospel, however, and Paul's teaching us this in Romans 5, the gospel, however, teaches us that the meaning of life is to love God and to love your neighbor, right? 
That's the ultimate meaning of life, to love God, to love your neighbor, and that the highest operating principle is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love, putting others before yourself. Leslie Stevenson wrote a book on the theories of human nature, and he noted how Christianity was unique. This guy wasn't even a Christian, and he picked up on something that I think even a lot of Christians miss. He, he pointed out how Christianity, as a worldview, was unique amongst all the other worldviews and ideologies. He said this, if God has made man for fellowship with himself, and he has, and if man has turned away from God and broken his fellowship with God, then only God can forgive man and restore that fellowship and restore order. Isn't that interesting? A non-believer said that, and he hit the nail on the head. In other words, our fundamental problem is a relational problem. That's our history. Do you get that? Romans 5 points that out. What happened? Why is the world the way it is? Because men and women rebelled against God. We did in the garden, and we have ever since. It's a relational problem. Fellowship with God is broken and cut off. We've been alienated and distanced. We need to be reconciled. That's what all of Romans 5 is about, being reconciled to a holy God, even though we're sinful. It's a relational problem, so there's a relational solution. Through the grace, through the work of Jesus Christ, can we be put right with God again and all things be made right and restored? Our problems do not come from greedy capitalists who won't share. Our problems don't come from repressed desires for pleasure. Our problems don't come from the environment or from physical matter. Some of those things may be symptoms, of course, of a deeper problem. The Bible is going to reject all of our attempts to demonize something in this created world as the problem and to idolize something in this created world as a solution. If you try to put your own story together, you're going to demonize something that can't possibly bear the weight of the brokenness in the world, and you're going to idolize something as the solution that can't bear the weight of your worship. We do that all the time. It's It's phenomenal. This is what uh, one man said. Timothy Keller said this. He said, without an understanding of the gospel, we will be either naively utopian or cynically disillusioned. We will be demonizing something that isn't bad enough to explain the mess we're in, and we will be idolizing something that isn't powerful enough to get us out of it. This is, in the end, what all other worldviews do. You do realize that. Every other worldview outside of Christianity demonizes something and idolizes something. And Christianity alone says, here's where the problem is and here's where the solution is. The problem is sin and rebellion and the solution is Jesus Christ to come and bear our sins for us, to bear our shame for us, to absorb God's wrath on our behalf, to live the righteous life we could not live and stand in as our substitute. He's the new Adam. (laughs) That's what this whole passage is about, really. There was a representative. And by the way, this this is the second point, confess our guilt. The first point is to understand human history. The second point is to confess human guilt. And I got to tell you, man, people do not like this. And if you understand it, a part of you should not like this. It does not seem fair at all, because what Paul is telling us here is that the the reason that you and I are the way that we are, we bear some of the blame, but also we had a federal representative. We had an appointed representative in the Garden of Eden, 
that stood for all of us. Adam, you know the word Adam in Hebrew? It just means man. It means mankind. We all of us have this solidarity with Adam. We weren't in the garden when he did what he did, but he represented every single one of us here. Does that seem fair to you? You can be honest. Tell your pastor. Does that sound fair to you? I'm held responsible for something somebody else did. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> if you get the Christian message, that's, that's your response. Paul knows that. I love Romans, man. Paul anticipates our objections and our protests, doesn't he? And he knows he has to prove this. He's got to prove that we have inherited guilt from Adam. Now, we've all sinned. We already saw that in Romans 3, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us here bears our own personal culpability, responsibility, and blame. We carry personal guilt for our, for our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our words. But here in Romans 5, Paul goes even back further than that. He says, why do we sin? Why were we born with the nature that we were born with? Who's to blame? What happened? Paul is telling you what happened. In the Garden of Eden, God appointed a man, and he put him in the garden. He was your elected official, so to speak. There was not a democracy. You didn't cast a vote. He didn't have, Adam didn't run a political campaign and have debates with other representatives, right? You had nothing to do with it at all. He was our representative. I think it was, uh, I think it may have been J. Vernon McGee who said something really clever, and I wrote it down. I want to read this to you. J. Vernon McGee said, this is God's universe, and God does things his way. You might have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> I like that, don't you? You say, that was, God can't do that. God can do that. He did do that. And, and you got to take a, a fur, take a further step back, because I've even talked to my kids. They said, Dad, I wasn't in the garden. I didn't eat the, tr I didn't eat the fruit. I wouldn't have done it. I'm obedient. I respect authority. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If there would have been a better representative than Adam in the garden to represent humanity, do you think that God would have put him or her there? It's God can, thank you, honey. <laughs> I got one answer. <laughs> She's invested, though. Is God, does God always do what's right? Is there, is, is, does God do it because it's right, or is it right because God does it? <laughs> I know, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? God appointed, you can be most certain, my friends, that God appointed for you the best representative you could possibly have. If Had you or I been there, we'd have eaten the whole tree, okay? Adam was a perfect human being, and we're fallen, we're flawed, we're filled with sin. You think we would have done a better job? job in the garden? No, God gave us a perfect representative, the best of the best. Adam, we have solidarity with him. It's hard for us to understand this. God has always worked throughout humanity with a representative. He always has, always. David was the appointed king of Israel. When he sinned, all of Israel was held responsible. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. We don't think that's fair, but that's the way it happened. And I want to tell you why that is so important. If you reject if you reject being representative, if you reject your representative and Adam, then you are in a terrible place. Do you know why? Because there was a second Adam that came and also represented you. Are you feeling me here? Are you following me? Who was the second Adam? Christ Jesus. Because the first Adam was a 
type of the one who was to come. Do you know what Christmas is all about? God gave you a better representative than you had in the garden. Adam failed. Adam failed you. Adam failed himself. Adam failed the planet. I'm going to tell him about it when I get up there. Are you? <laughs> but do you know what? God didn't leave it to you. You've been, See, you've been trying to represent yourself for centuries, and you've been doing a terrible job of it. You've been trying to, <laughs> you've been trying to plow back into the garden, but the, but the entrance is blocked. You can't get in there because you're staying. You're corrupt. Your motives are mixed and impure. You can't trust yourself, and God knows that. That's why God waited centuries before he sent Jesus. He wanted you to feel good and lost and see he gave you every opportunity to pick yourself up, dust yourself back off, and get back on that horse, cowboy, right? So you could get bucked right back off again. He said, I'll send you a better representative, and this one won't fail. This one won't fail. I'm not sending this one into a paradise. I'm sending this one into a broken world. And sin and error pining into a world of darkness and brokenness and hate and murder and death everywhere. He's not going to be welcomed. He's not going to be received. He's not even going to be recognized as a king. I read the other day in 1950, something crazy happened. And I'm dating myself here. Uh, in the 1950, I mean, I wasn't around in the 50s, don't. <laughs> but I knew about Elvis. Elvis died the year I was born. Elvis was called the what? The king, baby, the king of rock and roll. Do you know there was a diner in Tennessee that Elvis used to go to all the time before he became famous? And the guy felt sorry for Elvis because his music wasn't catching, and he would give him a free steak dinner. And Elvis always had a special affinity for that place. Well, in the, in the peak of his fame in the 50s, uh, that place called uh, Little, Little Ted's Steakhouse or something like that, they were having like the ultimate Elvis impersonation contest. You know where this is going, don't you? And Elvis heard about it, and he said, I'm going to go. And he told the owner, and the owner said, don't do it, man. People are going to recognize you, and they're going to go insane. And Elvis said, no, 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 man, it'll be a bust. It'll be fun. So Elvis sat quietly in the back, unrecognized with all these, <laughs> all these Elvis impersonators. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so they were all doing their thing, and then Elvis got up. Elvis got up. And he sang Love Me Tender to quiet applause, and he got third place. True, that's a true story. That's a true story. You know why? Because nobody recognized the real king. They rejected him. He got third place. Hey, Jesus got last place. They killed him. They didn't kill Elvis. I mean, that's another. Who killed Elvis anyway? Did Elvis kill did the world? Did we, do, did we do it? There's always a story, isn't there? Jesus is the ultimate representative. He's the second Adam. And the title of this sermon, if you're, if you're figuring out by now, he's the last king you will ever need. He is a much better king than David or Saul. Didn't Jesus say that? Someone greater than Solomon is here. There's a greater David that's here. He's not going to sin with Bathsheba. He's not going to betray you. He can be trusted. He's reliable. He's going to put your interest above his own even. He's going to bring back glory. He's going to restore the planet. He's going to redeem you and rescue you. He's going to send his Holy Spirit to you when he ascends. That's what Christmas is all about. Have you prepared him room? Have you welcomed this king? Have you second first? Sorry, guys. <laughs> Too much coffee this morning. Second point: Have you acknowledged your guilt? Because listen, man, if you reject your first representative, then you got to reject the second one. You better be careful with that. If you say that's not fair, that's not right. Something that somebody else did when I wasn't there, when I wasn't involved, when I didn't participate. How can that affect me and shape my life? That's an interesting question, isn't it? You say, I wasn't in the garden. That's right, and you weren't on the cross either. 
Jesus did that. You didn't. He did that for you. You didn't have anything to do with it. You wasn't born. You wasn't around. You didn't even approve. Actually, the Bible says you and I are responsible for killing Christ. All of us were there in some sense nailing his hands and feet to that cross. And yet he looked down from it and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to those who receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's you and that's me right there in that statement. Christmas is about God's representative. I hope you do not reject him. I hope you do not fire your attorney like Charles Manson and Ted Bundy did. Did you know that? Both of those men have three things in common. They're lunatics. They're psychotic. They're serial killers. They're sociopathic. And you know what they did? Both of them thought they were so intelligent that they could fire their own representation in court. I mean, they didn't have a chance anyway, but they had the best attorneys that they could, that they could have. And both of them fired their attorneys and represented themselves. Here's what Charles Manson said about it. Can you believe I'm quoting Charles Manson at Grace Life? I just want to keep it interesting, folks. This is what Charlie said. I find it hard to concede that a man can represent another. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that profound? If a man is a man, he represents himself. I have no other choice but to represent myself. There's no attorney in the world who can represent me. I wish Charles Manson would have understood the lie in that. Not so that he could get off of, of responsibility for what he did, but so that he would be able to recognize there is an atonement even for what he did. There's one who would gladly and willingly stand in his place. See, the gospel says this, you are far more sinful and depraved than you ever dared imagine, but you are far more loved than you ever dared to hope. Did you know that? You're so sinful, Jesus had to come and die for you, but you are so loved by God that he was glad to do it. That's why we're celebrating communion today. And oh yeah, the second one, you're wondering. Ted Bundy, he represented himself too, and he, he fried in the electric chair in 1989. So Charles Manson died in prison at 83 years old, and Ted Bundy died in 1989. Both of those men did not do well representing yourself. And can I tell you something else? You're not going to do so well representing yourself either. You say, well, man, I've lived a pretty good life, and my good outweighs my, ba my bad. That's not how it works. But can I just explain something to you, the way that the law works? It's like a, a window pane. One infraction, and the whole thing shatters. That's what James talks about. If you've broken the least of one of these commandments, the whole thing falls apart falls to pieces, right? You have to have, you must be perfect, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Even as my heavenly Father is perfect, so you must also be perfect. Anybody want to stand in your performance? Anybody want to try and offer a perfect life to Jesus? I can't even offer a perfect 10 minutes. I'm serious. I told you the other day that if I could lose my salvation, I would every single day, and so would you before my second cup of coffee. My, my thoughts, I feel sometimes are just so out there, so I wouldn't want... I would not want anyone, now I'm your pastor and I'm telling you this, I would not want anyone in this congregation to see a whole week's worth of thoughts put up, put up here. I would die of shame if you could read my mind for a whole week. Just being honest with you. And maybe you'd be honest and say, okay, pastor, I won't read your thoughts, you don't read my thoughts, right? You don't look at my life, you don't look at the way I viewed suffering, you don't view the way I talked to my spouse or to my kids or view the way, see the way I view my singleness or whatever it is. My performance is, it, listen, even your best righteousness, the Bible says, Isaiah 64 says is what? Filthy rags. Anybody want to offer your filthy rags to Jesus? 
and say, here you go, God, how am I doing? <laughs> how am I doing? He would say, not good. You're not doing good at all. I sent you a better representative, and you rejected him, and now it's too late. I mean, I do, I do not want to hear those words, do you? I do, and you don't have to. You've got breath in your body. That's the best news in the world. That's what Christmas is a reminder of. We've got to stop here. I'm going to come back to this passage uh, next time we gather together and I'm preaching. I'll be back in this passage in Romans 5, and we'll continue this. But those are the three things. Know your history. Confess your personal guilt. And welcome your king. Receive your king. That's the last king you'll ever need. He's a good king. He loves you. He died for you. He's promised his presence through the Holy Spirit with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never desert you. He'll never forsake you because he experienced all those things on your behalf. What a king, man. What an attorney. I give Jesus power of attorney. Anybody with me? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these truths. They're powerful. They're meaningful. They resonate with us. We know the truthfulness of it, Lord. Our hearts leap out of our chest knowing these things are true and they're real. And we can reject all the other worldviews that are crumbled and broken and fractured in this world. Lord, we know this is true and it's right. And those of us who have embraced this, Lord, we, we see that our minds are being renewed and the inner man is, is growing and the Holy Spirit is teaching us. We are experiencing transformation, Lord, and growth. We are becoming more like Jesus every day. We are finding your word precious. We are finding your promises powerful. We are, we are seeing our mission, Lord, as, as, as critical and vital. We are seeing ourselves as agents of change in this world, carrying the gospel. As, as Romans 5 here says, that death has spread to all men as proof that we're all guilty. And Adam and guilty personally, it also says that we have this treasure. We're, we're broken vessels, Lord. We have this precious treasure that we carry and spread all over the world. Help us to, to view ourselves as, as your missionaries, Lord. Spurgeon said we are either missionaries or imposters. So help us to be missionaries, Lord, and carry the truth and the beauty and the power of this message. Help us as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, to see, Lord, that you are our king who came and was broken for us, who stood in our place. Help us to do that with all the joy in our hearts, Lord, and not view Christmas as uh, just simply this a secular holiday and, and with all the commercialization, but view it as a celebration, Lord, uh, of our coming King, our King, our Savior, who loves us and gave Himself for us. I pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to ask our uh, servers if they will come and join me down on the floor at this time, and those of you who have children in the back who you want to go and and grab and have them to join you to celebrate communion, we'll, we'll prepare our hearts together. I want to thank um, Mark and Wendy Hart for uh, heading this ministry up. Every first Sunday they come here early and they prepare all of this and make sure that it's safe. And we have prepackaged, um, I always feel awkward saying this, that this is the reason we're doing this the way we, we are and that we have been for the last year and a half. I would love to be able to break real bread and, and, uh, and all of that, but we want to be safe. You're, you're 
your health and your safety is a priority for us. So for now, we're doing it this way. These come prepackaged, and they're, they're kind of hard to tear apart. So uh, take the time to do that before we get to the part where we're all going to do it together. There's two different wrappers on top. You've got to peel off for the wafer and then for the juice underneath. But before, before we distribute this, I want to explain a little bit about what this is and what it's not. Uh, communion is a way for us to visibly, tangibly remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. He said that his body was broken for us and that his blood was shed for us so that we can actually, don't you love that, that Jesus knew, he knew we have amnesia, he knew we forget these things, and so he said, hey, as often as you do this, this ordinance, you come together, and as often as you do it, you celebrate this, this communion, this table, do this in memory and remembrance of me. Jesus is really giving all of us an opportunity to preach the gospel to ourselves. Did you know that? He says, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death until I return. So you and I are preaching the gospel to ourselves this morning, and we're preaching the gospel to one another. Did you know that? Did you need to be reminded of the gospel this morning? I did. I forgot it. I've forgotten it since last week. I need this reminder. And since 60% of the population, the world tells us, is our visual learners, this is your visual instruction this morning. And the Bible says, whatever we do as Christians, we do better together. So that's why this is community. We celebrate communion together as a community and we remind one another. This has no, um, I know there have been lots of debates about what communion is. Is this the actual body and blood of Jesus? Is his blood actually packaged in these things we bought from Amazon? Or is this a powerful symbolic ordinance that God gave us to where Christ is somehow mysteriously and... Uh, strangely, mysteriously present in this in power, and, and the Holy Spirit is here, and we'll use this as a great means of, and grounds for our assurance. I believe that's what it is. This will not convert you, but you know what? So people have been converted during this because the gospel has come alive, and they've understood their sinful guilt and the sacrifice and the forgiveness that Jesus offered. So maybe that would be the case for you. Uh, but I want to invite you, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ alone and are trusting in Him alone to save you from your sins, I want to invite you to receive communion with us today. And if that's not you, then why don't you just receive Christ today, and then you'll be able to celebrate with us the next time we do this. So I want to ask our servers, would you go ahead and distribute this, and then we'll take a moment to pray. And just use this time as you're sitting in your seat to just reflect on the message that you've heard. Jesus, your king, your king, he came to a world that was broken and that was fractured and that was hopeless and that was dark. He came in the fullness of time. Many other kings had came, many other leaders had come, many other religious leaders, philosophical leaders, secular leaders, politicians, they had all came and offered their take on the world and they left the world worse, not better. And then Jesus came, and he did the unthinkable. He did what nobody else will do. Romans 5 tells us he came, and he sacrificed himself for people who were ungodly, for people who were weak, for people who were his enemies. That's pretty amazing. Scarcely will a man die for somebody who is good. Perhaps a man will dare to die for somebody who is righteous. But Jesus demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners while we were weak while we were ungodly while we were his enemies he died for us he gave himself for us that's what communion commemorates and that good news do you believe that 
do you believe Jesus died for you? Do you believe you were God's enemy? Do you believe you are responsible for your own sins? And that Jesus wants to cleanse you and clear you and forgive you and pardon you. And he wants you to have assurance that you are his child. You didn't do anything to put yourself in his family. He did it all. He gets the glory. And the good news is you can't do anything to forfeit that. You can't lose it. You are at no risk at any time for any reason of being ejected from God's family, being kicked out of his kingdom. You didn't get yourself in and you're not going to kick yourself out. Jesus has got a hold of you. Praise God, he holds on to us. We are in his grip. We are his body. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing thought. We're his family. We're his body. We are the sheep of his pasture. We're a part of the temple he's building. He's the cornerstone. We're just a brick. But we stand or fall together with Christ. We have solidarity with him. We're united to Jesus. The first Adam failed. The second Adam is the last Adam. And we are in him. We're in Christ. Best place to be, happiest place to be, safest place to be. So, I want to pray and I want to read the passage from the Apostle Paul who gives us the instructions on what this is and what it means, and then we'll take this together. So, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, I never ask you to do this, but I do want you to know I'm not making this up. This is not my idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us why we do what we do. And I want to read that to you. Paul says, I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we receive this bread. We receive this cup in remembrance of you with thankful, grateful hearts, Lord. We know we are never as thankful as we should be or as we could be, but the good news is, Lord, our, our standing with you is not based on the right level or peak of gratitude because you loved your neighbor as yourself. You were always thankful to your Father, and we are resting our salvation in your performance, not ours. You represented us, Lord, better than Adam did. You were the king that came, and you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You loved your neighbor as yourself. You never disobeyed in word and thought and deed, and you offer yourself, your body, as a sacrifice on the altar of atonement for our sins, Lord. And we take this today in remembrance of you. Thank you, Jesus. Will you take it with me? Take the body. Take the bread. That's his body that was broken for you. Take the cup. That is his blood that was shed for you. Now let's give thanks and then we'll follow our grace life tradition of singing a hymn together. Lord, we again thank you for this reminder. I pray if there is a person, Lord, surely there is a person in a group this size who brought in with them doubt. Doubt, Lord. They, they are doubting your love for them. They are doubting that they're in your kingdom. They have believed the gospel as best they could. Lord, they, 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 they tried to 
to understand that you love them and that Jesus lived the perfect life they could never live and died the horrible death that they deserve. And they've, they've tried to give their heart to you, Lord, and, and believe the gospel, that, but they're just plagued and riddled with doubt in their mind, Lord. And, and they would cry out with the centurion, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that you would use this communion service today. The message they've heard, the verses we've read, the gospel we're preaching to ourselves right now as a powerful means of assurance and that nobody would leave this room in the sound of my voice, Lord, doubting your love for them. Or at least knowing, Lord, that maybe they came in here doubting other things, that maybe they're, they're too sinful, you could never accept a person like them. And Lord, you couldn't, not on their merits, but you will accept them on the basis of Christ. And I pray they would give their heart to you right now. They would just, with me, uh, in, in their own way, Lord, they would understand this prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please, Lord, help me. I can't save myself. I can't put myself back together. I can't make myself presentable to you. I can't live the life that, that you demand, but I know Jesus did. And I know I deserve hell and wrath, and Jesus stood in my place and absorbed all of that for me. He took God's judgment for me. He represented me, Lord, and I want to cling to you. I want you to forgive me. I want to belong to you. I want to repent of my sins and turn to you, and I want to be a part of your kingdom and your family, and I want to belong to this church. I pray they would pray that in their own way, Lord, and, and feel your assurance and your love. And I ask all these things in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, servers. You may be seated. Tally, you want to lead us in a hymn today? Um, after we sing this, because I'll forget, we're going to sing this, and then we're going to have some announcements. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give an announcement first, okay? Because I know Matt's going to give one as well. But uh, we are doing some... Sorry, man. Hang on just a second. We are doing something really exciting today and memorable today. We are having a meeting about a student ministry here that is launching next year. Hey, praise God for that. Praise God. One of the reasons that we as a church brought Matt Carr on as a discipleship pastor is we wanted him to help us launch a student student ministry, and he has been dreaming and praying. He's been casting vision, talking to some of you, talking to some of our students, talking to some of our families, and today is the day that we are going to meet in the cafeteria right after this and, and have a launch meeting, a vision casting meeting, and you can hear all that you want to hear about it. If you're a parent of a student um, that would be in middle school or high school, if you're somebody interested in serving uh, in that as a leader, or you're somebody that just is curious and wants to hear more, we're offering lunch. Matt's going to cast vision back there. It's going to be a really exciting time. So if you don't go, would you please pray for that time of meeting and pray for that ministry and to ask what ways God will have you to support it and encourage it, pray for it. Um, so that's, that's the one announcement. You can, you can repeat it. That's okay. I'm not trying to steal your thunder. Um, but would you, would you please pray about that? Um, and the second thing is, would you take these with you when you leave and don't leave them on the floor because they'll tip over? We want to be good stewards of this school and leave it in a better place than, than what we found it in. So we'll have some baskets in the back for you to do that. And I feel like I'm forgetting something else. Am I forgetting something? I'll remember it tomorrow, whatever it is. Um, well, what's that? There's food at the meeting. Thank you, Jackson. Yes. <laughs> There is chili at this vision casting meeting, so don't worry about lunch. If you want to go to this meeting, lunch is going to be provided for you, and yes, bring your students with you, okay? You want to lead us in a hymn? The Bible says after they, after they celebrated communion together, 
that they went with Jesus, they crossed the, the river Kidron, they went into an olive grove, and that says that they sang a hymn together. They sang it together, and we're going to all sing this together, so stand to your feet, let's well, sing it together. Contemporary hymn. <laughs>
Man, yeah, you guys can take a seat if you want. Um, I hope you guys are uh, just as encouraged as, as I've been this morning. My soul needed today um, a lot just to be surrounded by you guys, hear you sing, partake in the Lord's Supper together. Um, man. Uh, but yeah, before we go, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, we get to uh, keep having fun together if you want to join us, like Tommy said, in the cafeteria. Uh, I'm super stoked uh, just to be with you guys and share uh, what we think uh, the Lord can do through this new ministry. Um, also, we have, if you want just some supplemental material um, in your Christian walk, on our website, we do have a blog um, that's posted weekly, maybe every other week, um, some months. But uh, yeah, I just posted one up there. It's super riveting, I'm sure. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, you can you feel free to check that out. Um, also, uh, as you saw in the lobby, we have our giving tree. It's those green crates stacked up. The reason it's crates is for you to put in the materials uh, that we've talked about. Uh, really, this is for students here at Deltona High School um, who just don't have the means to afford simple hygiene products. Um, so you can drop off shampoo body wash, um, deodorant, toothpaste, anything in, the, in those categories. Um, Diane actually talked with the lady who heads up this um, project or ministry for this school. Um, what they do is they pack backpacks each weekend and send them home. A lot of these kids are homeless and, and they need these things um, to, to take care of themselves. Um, so we just wanna partner with the school to give them as much as we can. And uh, Diane went and dropped off the first load this week, and that volunteer here at the school was literally in tears um, because of what we have been able to give. And I just want to quadruple that, give 10 times what we've already given. Um, I think it's really cool that we can do that. Um, also, I just want to remind you of community groups that, we, that meet throughout the week. Um, that's the QR code for our website or app and you can see where each of those groups meet. And also, those groups are hosting Christmas parties this season. Uh, if you want to celebrate Christmas with fellow brothers and sisters here at Grace Life. So you can check that out in the church app. Um, so before we go, we will read our, um, our send-off. So you can stand with me, and we will read this together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent 